and welcome to episode 114 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. I'm Brett Nolan of AppAct.net, and with me as always is Trevor Sheridan of App Advice. In this episode, Trevor and I explore icy caverns, dark dungeons, and a neon-infused mall as we battle beasties and predict Apple's next big innovation. How you doing tonight, Trevor? Doing good. We're down to one week for that Apple event. I can't believe it after all we've talked about since June. I know. In some ways, it seems like it's been forever. In other ways, it seems like it's it's kind of like quick from when we just, I don't know. It, but it seems like parts of it, it's just been forever that we've been talking about this. It really does. And <laughs> a week from, we're recording on September 3rd. Next, so September 10th, next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific. You can tune in on Apple's website to watch everything. We'll have a special podcast recapping the events and all the good new stuff. But right now we got a week to speculate because guess what's the best part about speculation? Anything is possible. Yes, and you can't be disappointed today. You can be disappointed a week from now, but not today. And so this is Apple's iPhone event. There's no other way to put it. There's nothing else that's going to take more precedence or get headlines. It's all about the iPhone. And it looks like Remember last year we had the iPhone XS, which is essentially an S year. So it's the iPhone XS. So you think, well, the iPhone 11, it will be some big deal, right? It'll be like, oh, we're going to redesign this or do all the cool stuff that we did with the 10 or the 8 or the 7 or the 6, whatever. That's always the big year. And then the S year is the internals. Well, it turns out that this year, the 2019 iPhone is going to be an internal upgrade as well. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty sad when people are already looking at, I'm super excited about the 2020 iPhone, and we haven't even gotten this 2019 (laughs) iPhone yet. People are already kind of ignoring this one and looking to the future. And I'm wondering if part of that is just because people spent a crap ton of money on their last model. Are they even ready to upgrade after two years? Or in some cases, if you have the XS, one year. Uh, So... Is Apple, is this going to be a wow enough of a phone that's going to get people out there to buy it? And right now it doesn't look like it. And that's kind of the big problem because it might be more of an indictment on Tim Cook's tenure at Apple that we've gotten to this point that back-to-back years we're going to have minor internal upgrades and not the big wow features, especially with all the other phone happenings in the industry. But with that said, I couldn't name any of them. I know that Samsung messed up making a foldable phone. That's about all I know that's happened outside of iPhone changes over the past year. So maybe they, they're, since they're not playing catch up, there's no big industry leader. They can rest on their laurels. Yeah, I mean, I, there's nothing big out there. We knew Apple was working on their own foldable. We knew that wasn't coming this year. And obviously it was a disaster for, for Samsung. So. I I mean, the the big thing people are talking about about this phone is these three camera lenses on the back. But then again, no one can really tell you all that much of what it can do. I saw one rumor that's going to allow you to, like, edit out things and make things invisible. Or it's going to have a better 3D depth. But it, these sound like really, like, specific uses that I, I, I don't know that I have a need for or want to necessarily take the. Maybe I'm going to see the demos of this and it's going to be amazing, but is it actually going to be stuff that people are going to use constantly in real life that it, it's worthwhile paying another $1,000 to upgrade your phone? And so I can't wait for Phil Schiller to come on stage and Tim Cook and we'll have that tagline, 
best iPhone ever. Which, I mean, yeah. that's quite a statement in its own right because I can't imagine they're going to go back. You know, this is probably better iPhone than the iPhone 6. I don't know if it's better than the one we released last year. <laughs> yeah, we, we thought about releasing a better one this year, but then we said, why? Why bother? You're going to buy it anyway, so we'll just release this thing that we had lying around, and next year we'll come out with a best iPhone ever. And so this best iPhone ever that we're about to get is going to come in the same specifications as the current iPhone XS. You have a 5.8 and 6.5 inch OLED display, same dimensions, same exact style, and you couldn't tell them apart on the front. On the back, you do have the new bump that has expanded from like a little thin oval to a full-on square with rounded corners. It's kind of like an app icon. And they've put three camera lenses inside of this. And there's going to be the same telephoto lens and wide-angle lens, but then they're also adding a super wide-angle lens. So, yeah, they're not adding, like, the ability to increase optical zoom or something you would use with every single one of your shots. Like, this feels like almost a comparison to the Pixel camera where you have that expanded point of reference even though your phone is relatively close to you. That's all I really can see on the day-to-day use of it. Yeah, I mean, the one spot that I've always felt like the iPhone is lagging is in that optical zoom. Like, that's the point. Like, if I'm at a sporting event watching my daughter play soccer, I want to be able to zoom in and capture. I don't want that crappy digital zoom where everything gets blurry. I want to be able to use an optical zoom right on my camera. I don't want to have to carry it around on my phone camera. I don't want to have to carry it around like a giant camera with lenses it would be awesome if they could figure out a way to improve the optical zoom on these things or make the digital zoom so it didn't look so terrible Uh, but that's really where the the cell phones have always been kind of lagging as far as camera wise otherwise the pictures look crystal clear and fine when you're taking something within your normal field of view range it's the faraway stuff that they really need to focus on improving, no pun intended. Uh, and that's where I think it's still always lagging in these cameras, and it just seems like they never do anything about it. Yeah, and this one's not going to change that. It might increase or improve low-light photography because you have a greater ability to capture any kind of light in the environment or just the wide-angle ideas, I guess. You won't have to focus as much on taking those panorama shots where you scroll your phone and you have your dog in it and it becomes this like caterpillar looking creature or something. So I guess you have <laughs> that to look forward to. But really, I can't get that excited for these changes. Like they're going to show these awesome photos of like a squirrel super zoomed in. You can see the little individual hairs on its face, but. I'm not going to be able to take that photo. I don't know how the person who did take that photo. Those photo examples don't help me in just average every day. I mean, go up on stage and take a photo of the crowd. And let me see with the low lighting how it actually comes out. Right. Yeah. Give us a real world example, not something you set up where it was like perfect and no one knows like how close you are. Maybe this is like a a trained squirrel you have and you get right up in its face and you take this picture and that's how you got that awesome, amazing photo. It's nothing to do with uh, the zoom or anything. You you I don't know. It's I feel like there's smoke and mirrors. And then all of a sudden we see this crazy good photos and it's not necessarily what the average consumer is ever going to see out of these these cameras. 
We will get to hear about f-stops and pixel captures and as you know, megapixels don't improve camera quality. It's actually the lens styles and look at all these microns of adjustments we've been able to improve. <laughs> I'm super excited for that section of the program. <laughs> you mean this, this part where you start to fall asleep and then you're like, come on, let's move on, let's move on. So yeah, yeah. Uh, good times. And then the iPhone XR is also getting a follow-up. It's going to be the 6.1-inch LCD display. It's going to return, but now it's getting the dual-lens camera from the current iPhone XS. So they're going to get three lens on the new mainline iPhone and then the two lens on the XR sequel. And so the, I guess the real question, because we know these are going to come with A13 chip. They're probably going to have improvements to LTE that, can handle things that aren't available in the U.S. market, and we're going to have Wi-Fi enhancements and all all that good stuff. Face ID is probably going to be improved because they like doing that, but I think the notch is still going to remain on the front, so that's probably the most noticeable thing people care about. Yeah, I mean, and all the rumors are pointing towards next year's model having full-screen Touch ID. So I, how much are they really investing in the current technology if this is all going to change next year? And, and so it. It becomes like, just with the camera lenses, too. We got two on now on one of them, three on the others. This is starting to look like the whole Razor situation. Like, how many blades can we toss on this thing and, <laughs> and have ours be the best? Like, it, it's starting to become almost ridiculous. I mean, now that it's a square, they could easily add a fourth lens next time around because uh, they could just shift things over. But it just seems, at one point, is it overkill? And what point does it really make a difference? Difference. I I don't know, but it, it, like it, there's just not a lot here that's to get excited about with the phone itself. Uh, at least last year when we knew it was S model, we looked to iOS 12 and we said, "Oh well, iOS 12 has this stuff. This is gonna help improve the speed of my current phone." And and you could at least look to iOS to kind of fill that stopgap. But now we're two years of this and it just feels like they kind of phoned it in again oh, no pun God. intended what is that going on with this <laughs> i know this is, i'm not even trying now and and it just i don't know it just doesn't feel like they put a lot of effort in this year well remember 3d touch yes Apple doesn't because they're getting rid of that. I know. <laughs> I finally got a phone with my 10 that I, that supported it. And now I only got this one year with it. And now it's going to be gone. Yeah, they're just going to have haptic feedback across the system. It's what's on the XR. It's what's on the Apple Watch. And they're like, why invest in 3D touch technology when people aren't really using it? So that's great. And then I guess it's going to be better shatter and water resistant for improved durability just by magic. I don't know. They're putting like a little spell on the top of it. I don't see from the details of how they can do that if it's the same exact materials going in. And so one thing we didn't mention was this, uh, the invite. So on the invite, it was this kind of like a multicolored apple. It's not quite the colors of the original classic apple, and everything looks kind of translucent and glassy, but it's a green, blue, yellow, red, and purple. And to me, this leads me to believe like Maybe that cheaper model, the XR, whatever they're going to call it this time around, uh, is going to offer these colors of backings on it. Like, kind of like what they tend to do with the cheaper models every time around, and they never sell all that well, yet they try to make them fancy and colorful to try to get people to pick them up. 
Yeah, like I remember when the five C. They're like, look, yes. it, it comes in five different colors, and everyone's like, we don't care. And so now they're doing it again because why not? I mean, the invite itself is ironic as it possibly can be by innovation only. So we changed by invite only to innovation only. And we're announcing a phone where we added one more camera lens to this cluttered back array. We're including an A13 chip and there's other minor internal changes you won't really notice. Yeah, yeah. Where's That's the innovation, innovation there? Right there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even the translucent, I mean... It would be cool if they had a translucent iPhone where you could see inside of it or some kind of idea where you create this whole 3D printing idea or any kind of hologram, AR, VR sets, anything based on this idea. But this is probably the most basic update going into it that like maybe Apple surprises us, which is probably 0.001% chance. But for now, what the information we have, this is going to be their weakest change year over year i think yeah i agree and it actually what's kind of humorous is right now up on my screen i have the invitation up and there's a ad over on the right side of the screen for the galaxy note 10 plus and they on their screen it's basically some kind of a watery symbol using the exact same colors as this apple invite colors and so like it just like is so generic already and it's not even out yet so, uh, I don't know. Yeah, this is, it seems like a huge disappointment. And especially, I, I think it's only just coupled because we had that 10s last year, where maybe if this was expected to, well, we kind of knew it was going to be uh, kind of less than what we wanted. But at least if it had been along their normal timelines, it had been kind of like this seemingly disappointing release then maybe I would have given it a pass. But at this point, they need to be, if they want to sell people phones every two years, they need to come out of the gates with something amazing that gets you to drop another $1,000 down every single two years. Yeah, you kind of hint at the idea that Samsung doesn't really know what they're doing either. The entire phone industry is kind of stagnant in terms of, well, we offer awesome processors and cameras and screens and now what do we do? And so the whole kind of idea, they don't know what to do. I don't think foldable is really the next wave of future. And so Apple's kind of in the same rut. And it leaves you with this idea of how fast can a phone be? Like the A13 is going to be, you know, way better than the A12 chip. And that was already way better than the A11 chip. But they're processing everything that you could possibly ever want to or be capable to do on your phone. I don't know how you could do that much faster. Right. And really, the big problem with the Apple phones, the reason I end up replacing it is maybe something changes, like the size or something changes. But it's more like the battery starts going, and then I have a problem where I'm constantly charging it, and then do I sink money into trying to go get a battery replacement, or do I just go ahead and buy a new phone? That's really my more driving factor, uh, it seems, is that it's only getting slow because I have to charge the thing all the time and not necessarily, I can't run the apps that I want to run. Like there's very basic things I do on the phone. I play the games on the iPad. I don't necessarily play that many games on the phone. Very few, like just simple games, in which uh, even an old processor, they'd run fine on. Yeah. This is just a tough spot for everything. I mean, 
it feels like a 10 SS to be honest. And that kind of gets us into the idea of what are they even going to call this device? Cause I don't think they're going to call it the iPhone 11 just because there's three different versions and they can't go with the XS naming anymore. They can't go XIS or they could do whatever, but just in terms but of no, logical ideas. Dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, they're rumored that it's going to be called the iPhone 11 pro. And then you have the iPhone 11 Pro Plus. But then what do you call the XR sequel? You can't call it the iPhone Amateur. Pro minus. <laughs> amateur, yeah, amateur, yeah. So th- this is going to be a definite... I mean, honestly, to me, it's the iPhone XSS to me. So anything else, they're just lying straight up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm thinking it's probably going to be the 11 Pro, 11 Pro Max, or 11 Pro Plus. And then they'll just probably call the small one the 11. I I, I don't know. It's just going to... Or maybe just I, iPhone 11R or something. They keep that... Or it could. It keep that naming. Yeah, I don't. I have no idea. But And then, well, then as far as pricing goes, will these be the, around the same price that they were last year? Or it, are the tariffs that just took effect? I don't think they hit the phones. I think they hit the watch and, the, and some of the other smaller things. But will Apple raise the prices to kind of offset the the other items that got hit by the tariffs? I, I don't know. Um, or will they keep them the same to try to not scare people away from buying new phones? The pricing is tough, too, because Apple's been making the same phone for the past year. You could argue that it's not that different than the iPhone 10 from two years ago. And so they have a lot of the process down, they have a lot of the parts they've already purchased. Really, they're changing the camera and they're changing the process or a little bit of the Wi-Fi technology, but they have these parts. They have the supply chain down. If anything, the price should drop because that doesn't even get into the idea that RAM or memory keeps going down. You have 64, 128, and 256. Those prices keep dropping and Apple always charges a premium for that. But the entire thing taken as a whole should be cheaper than $1,000. And even if it stays at $1,000, I think that's a tariff percentage. And if it goes up, that's just super insane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point, you've got to imagine a company like Apple, at two years in, has found a way to dramatically reduce their costs in producing this, this essentially same phone year over year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the costs really come when they switch everything up and change everything around. That I understand. If it's something completely new, they don't have the supply chain, they don't have everything kind of just pumping it out and know how to, they haven't had the years of producing this thing to find ways to cut costs and reduce the cost of things. Uh, That makes sense where it might be more expensive for a completely new design. But where this borrows so much from the previous two years of phones, you're right, this should be less. They're not going to pass those savings on to the consumer. They're just going to increase how much money they're making from each phone sale. But if they raise the price, and especially if there's no actual tariffs on phones, which I don't believe there is, but I'm not entirely positive, uh, that that just seems like a slap in the face. Although it's only going to hurt them, because I think people are going to be holding on to their phones longer and longer, unless you're part of that uh, their upgrade program where you're just upgrading every year, no matter what, and you're just going to pay, pay, pay. I think unless you have some insanely good pricing deal, the average consumer is not going to be dropping another $1,000 two years later on another phone. Yep, definitely agree. And 
that makes this event kind of a question mark. Like you can mark your calendars. Be sure to tune in to see what it all is yourself. But if you go beyond the iPhone, you're looking at an Apple Watch where it doesn't look like there may be a new version or if anything, it changes the material it's made out of. I don't think it's like a substantial Apple Watch upgrade year. And I think a lot of changes are going to be on the software side for Apple Watch. I believe the iPad is going to get changed probably in an October event and that rumored 16-inch MacBook Pro October event. So maybe it gives them more time to talk about Apple TV Plus and Apple Arcade, which we've talked extensively on the podcast, but maybe we'll get to see it on September 10th. Yeah, I'm thinking they have to be, normally they feature some games, they feature some other stuff. I think this is going to be the event where we're going to finally find out pricing and details about both Apple Arcade and Apple TV+. Plus. Apple Arcade, I wouldn't be surprised if either they launch it right on September 10th, or they launch it with the release of iOS 13, probably two weeks later, because it's probably like a pre-order your phone on the 13th, releases on the 20th, at which point iOS 13 would be available to everyone. And at that point, if you had an Apple TV like the physical hardware, then you would have the updated Apple oh, Apple TV OS, which would allow you to connect a Bluetooth controller to it, like an Xbox controller or a PlayStation controller, and then you'd immediately be able to play all these Apple Arcade games right on the uh, on your device. And if anything, this will allow them, because these are exclusive titles, to maybe sell some iPhone hardware to people to get them in if they know that they're going to have access to this Apple Arcade, which will likely have like a 30-day free trial so that you can go ahead and try out all these games. So I think we're going to finally, after all this waiting, get some details on both of those and maybe on bundle pricing for everything that's involved. But I think this is the event where they kind of have to do it if they want to help drive these sales of the phone and just kind of get those services out there before the network tv season starts like this is when you want people's attention before they start getting distracted by everything else that's out there and then we know disney plus is launching on november 12th but i could also see them having an entertainment event in october where we launch a new ipad and we talk about our apple tv plus service i i see the games more maybe we split them up and we have apple arcade with the phone and apple tv plus with new ipads but this new iPad and the new MacBook Pro, I don't even know if it warrants an entire event. So maybe they only have one event this year and it's all included at the September 10th one. I don't know, because would they release, say they hold off on the Apple TV Plus for uh, an October event. Could they actually have new Apple TV physical hardware as well? Like, uh, or uh, or announce a price drop to go along with it? They've Something to the sell Apple those. TV so long. But they definitely, like, honestly, they have the Apple TV and then they have the 4K version, which is almost the same exact box. They need a new Apple TV and they need a price point that's not $150. If, you know, they need like a Fire TV or Google Chromecast alternative, to be honest. Right. They need to put something out there, especially if it's going to drive sales of this Apple TV Plus, because people can just buy this little dongle or a box, whatever it ends up being. And then it pays for Apple uh, for the Apple Arcade. I mean, it pay for Apple Arcade and then be able to play games on whatever TV they're on. Use existing controllers they own. Uh, Apple TV Plus, we already know they're coming out with apps for all these other 
devices. I don't know if we're going to see that, or that could be something else that gets announced in another event. Uh, but whenever that service finally launches, you're going to have all those other devices have their own versions of the app, like Roku, well, everything but Fire TV. Uh, and so at some point, I don't know, I think they do have enough for an October event. It's just, what are they going to delay? What are they going to show? And just get out there as soon as possible. I I think Apple needs a new Apple TV from me as a consumer perspective or even an investor perspective. But internally, I don't know if they're making a new Apple TV. Like, it would make perfect sense to have Apple Arcade and a standalone Xbox or PlayStation controller connected to your Apple TV up to your TV. So it's just like an Xbox or a PlayStation game console. Plus, then you have Apple TV plus streaming to it. And I just said plus and Apple TV so many different times. I'm sure you haven't caught up. <laughs> but regardless, I mean, you need a new way to get people in the door that isn't $150. Because the Apple TV ecosystem right now has great potential. But the hardware is cost prohibitive based on competitors that are out there. Right, especially if they're going to start offering this Apple TV Plus app on other platforms it's going to be so confusing as to why you would need this box and if it's something that's like a no-brainer cheap little dongle that you can just buy and then you know that you'll be able to access apple arcade on your television then that's an easier sell than trying to convince people well this is apple tv and this is apple tv plus and their whole the naming is just so bad that it's just gonna cause customer confusion and no one's going to have any clue as to what does what or uh, like we would know. But imagine your parents or your grandparents like they're not going to have a clue as to what this stuff is. They're going to be like, oh, now what do I need now? What's the box? I thought that was the box. No, that's the service. Then what's the box? And like it's going to be all confusing. Yep. And that would help to have a whole October event to kind of explain it and diversify it. But also keep in mind that the iPhone event will always get the most eyeballs, whether it's recap by news networks, it's actual people turning into the stream, it's listening to a podcast like ours to get information about the iPhone event. The other ones will always be secondary, and especially an October event following iPhone events. So whatever they pick to feature in that two-hour window, that's going to be their major emphasis of what they're pushing for the rest of the year and into next year. Yeah, I just hope it's it moves. I hope it it doesn't drag on like it has other in some other years that that just get to the point, get things done, and then move on. But I don't know. We spend like an hour and fifteen minutes on the iPhone, and we get about thirty minutes on camera, fifteen minutes on new processor, another fifteen minutes on how they coated it in magic dust to keep dust and water out of it. That, that's <laughs> that sounds super exciting. Yeah, and then they finally announced the price at the very end. Yeah, the price real quick. Oh, it's actually twelve hundred now. <laughs> 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 oh God. So as you can tell, we're super excited for Apple's September tenth event. <laughs> Be sure to uh, mark times. your calendars. You can stream it live on Apple.com and have your most productive two hours of a week as you find out of the next iPhone that you're probably not going to buy because it doesn't change much than the iPhone you currently own. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And then we'll have a whole recap on our next App Advice Weekly podcast. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll be surprised and there'll be awesome things to tell you. Yeah, Tim Cook comes out on stage 
He grabs that demo phone with the stupid square camera thing on the back and throws it in a trash can. He said, these are all completely faked. We just put it out there to mess with the rumor mill. That would be pretty impressive. One of these years, he needs to do that. They need to just put out this whole fake phone and get everyone talking about it. And because then once they had the fake phone, they wouldn't be looking for other rumors of the phone you're actually producing. Right, right. Yeah, come on, Apple. Step your game up. But speaking of games, guess what? There's plenty of games that are out now that aren't reliant on the Apple Arcade, and you can enjoy them. And the first one is Dead Cells, which is this really fun action platformer game where you essentially are these little cells that possess this dead body over and over again. Each time you die, you repossess it again. So it's this headless guy, and you have this new like Ghost Rider-esque flame head as the cells embody it. And... It's always a roguelike experience where you dive in, you go through as many pathways as you can, you're defeating enemies as you go, you're picking up upgrades and unlockables, and then you die and you start back at square one, but you're going to maintain those certain upgrades and collectibles and keep powering through that same idea because every time it's randomly generated. But just the core idea, hack and slash, fast-paced, frenetic challenges that are really easy to get into. The only drawback for me, before you get into it, Brett, is that the on-screen touch controls you have to purposely look down at occasionally, and that always takes you out of the game. Yeah, yeah. So this is one that I've been watching for a while. So it came out on the Switch, and I was so tempted to pick it up on the Switch, and then I heard it was coming to iOS, so I figured I'll wait for iOS because that's what we tend to talk about. So... I'll try it on iOS. And you're right. It is uh, super fun. Like, it's, I love roguelikes where you keep going through and you, you, yeah, you're going to die. You're going to die often. But then you get to keep those upgrades and things that you've unlocked. And then each time you're going to make it a little bit further. The cool thing about this game is because everything's randomly generated, it feels like different every time. It's not going to feel like you're going through a grind trying to do the same thing over and over again. And the way things pop up, the upgrades, the various things, those are randomized too. So you're not necessarily going to always see the same weapons and things coming up. The other thing you have a choice of is, do you explore or do you just try to find the exit as quickly as possible? And you're rewarded if you can beat the certain timed doors if you can make to the exit and then you get these other bonuses by going through it quickly but on the other hand you're not going to earn as much money you're not going to maybe pick up as many items so you kind of decide the risk reward do i want to just go for the exit and hope for those other two timed bonuses or do i take my time, kill tons of enemies, level myself up, like get all this stuff so I can buy upgrades, buy uh, certain upgrade uh, new abilities, get blueprints to unlock new weapons, and so you can really take your time. The one place where I definitely struggle is the controls. Like you mentioned, there are these on-screen controls. You can adjust them in the settings by uh, changing the size and the position of them, but it still doesn't, especially with the number of buttons that are on screen, it doesn't quite work. They do have a nice option where you can have it automatically strike with your melee weapon when you're near someone. And I enabled that. And so that helps because then you don't necessarily have to keep on hitting your melee weapon. You can focus on your ranged weapon and use that. And if you get close enough, the, the melee weapon will automatically start hitting for you. But it really is the type of game that benefits from a physical controller. It does support MFI controllers, 
I am so looking forward to iOS 13 when I can play this on a device uh, with an Xbox controller, because I think it's really going to be improved uh, to have the physical controls. I think it's they did. They attempted their best uh, to to make it usable with the touch controls. But I think just because of the complexity of the game, it's never going to quite be as good as if you had physical controls. They are serviceable. I definitely started to get used to the controls, and I looked down less often the more I played. But there's always that moment where you kind of have to look down and see which button you're going to hit uh, to make sure you're going to roll or jump uh, so you don't end up dying or running into an enemy. Uh, so that that's really the only ding I had on the game. Uh, just the, those virtual controls, but it's the nature of the beast when you release on iOS. Yeah, you can get to the point where you get the movement down in the jump or the attack button. You you kind of get in the flow of that. But if you ever want to do one of your other special attacks, because as you go, you're going to unlock bow and arrow or various types of extra items. Those are in a whole different area, and they're very helpful to use, but that extra tick that it takes you to look down and press it well now that enemy's attacking you and you're going to take damage rather than just oh okay i'm going to press x or whatever the case may be for my secondary slot right yeah i mean it, it, it it's i mean the quick action things where it's all on timing you, you you really can't get around not having a physical control especially when you have so this one has the jump the roll the uh, there's another third button. What does that one do? Um, jump, roll, and then uh, your basic attack. I think yeah, is your that basic one. Sword yeah, and then you have the other melee, uh, the other um, bone arrow, and another, then you have all these other little special things you can fire off, like grenades and other weapons, depending on what you pick up and purchase. Then on the left side, you have a, a virtual stick, which you can either have it stick where it is, or you can have it be a floating stick to where your finger goes. The stick I had no problems with. It was more trying to make sure I was hitting the right button on the other side. Maybe I could have played with it to move them around or resize them a little bit to make it, but Eventually, I did kind of, like I said, got used to some of it, but there were always moments where you kind of had to look down, which you just couldn't escape that. And everything else is so well done. So we don't want to harp on the controls, but really, if you're interested in any type of game where it's that fast-paced flurry of action, that hack-and-slash idea where there's just constant flow of enemies that have different challenges and you're going to have that... Some you need to jump past, some you need to dash down, some you need to roll past, and just have that constant, okay, I made it this far, now I can get better than that. Or I made it this far, now I can get better than that. I tried that pathway, let me try this pathway, let me focus on this set of upgrades. Any of those type of things are, that are appealing, Dead Cell nails that type of gameplay. Oh yeah, definitely. This was one I kept on going back to. Kept on, like, I'd go and play the other games we were going to talk about this week, and then, oh, I can try one more time. And then, yeah, I go in, and, like, it's very playable with the virtual controls. I, I'm I am sorry if we sound like we were really harping yeah, on them. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, it is very, very playable with the, the controls that are on there, especially if you turn on that auto uh, melee attack option. I think it's called auto hit. Uh, and 
But this is definitely one you're going to keep coming back to because it, it because of that randomness, it definitely it doesn't feel super samey as you keep playing through. And like just the visuals are really nice. It's like almost like a watery, dark dungeon. And there's the enemies are unique and different and interesting. So the, the, there's different ways you have to fight the different enemies to avoid their counterattacks and just uh, a highly recommended game this week. Yep, so that's Dead Cells. It's seven ninety nine. It's Universal. And then there's Path of Giants, which is a puzzle game with the order of operations idea. You have these three mountain climbers. One's yellow, one's blue, one's green. And they need to make it to their respective landing points on the opposite side of the level. And they'll have to work together. So say someone needs to get upwards. Well, you need to put, like, say yellow is at the top. You need to put blue or green at the bottom so we can kind of create like a stair lift to get to that top point or even to drop down from a higher point you need to put someone there so the other one can drop down it builds upon these ideas of the little hikers all working together to make it to the three end points and you have to go in a certain order because if blue's already made it to his exit point but yellow needs to step down well you might have to redo it so blue is actually in the right position for yellow to make it down and then there'll be special pathways where only blue can cross these particular platforms. So they're empty spots for green and yellow. And it just builds upon all these different order of operation challenges as you're flowing through these big uh, mountainscapes and all these special unlocking pathways as you go. Yeah, and what they do is they keep building on the mechanics. So you'll start with very simple things. It did kind of annoy me at first that the fact that guy couldn't jump down one level. He's an explorer, <laughs> and he couldn't jump down one level without stepping on another guy's head. But you get used to it. And then, but then they start really building on things beyond just that. Like you said, there's certain paths that show up where when you, only when you have a certain one of your three explorers selected, this path will appear and only he can walk over it. So now you have to use his ability to get to this section to then figure out what you need to do to unlock or maybe trigger another thing to move so the other guys can get over to where he is or get closer to wherever their endpoints are. Then there'll be other things later where there's pressure plates that only one certain person can step on one of the colors and then when they step on it it causes an action to happen so now you have to factor that in of how you're gonna do this in such an order to get that guy onto that pressure plate but then you have to get the other guys to where they need to be when that pressure plate's activated and it's a lot of thought like kind of pre-planning some some of it's reactionary where you try to figure out as you go but you almost have to figure out like kind of ahead of time and then move the people where they need to go. There is a way you can just undo uh, each step if you do get stuck, but otherwise uh, it's pretty much you're thinking of kind of planning it all out and then executing. And I, I found it quite enjoyable. I, I love these type of games where they kind of make you think, but it's still fun uh, where you're kind of puzzle it out in your head and then, you feel like you accomplished something when you get these three guys to the final little three dots and each of them light up and then the staircase opens and then they move on to the next level. Yep. And it's not the most complex puzzle game that I've ever come across, but it seems like it's just challenging enough to keep you compelled to keep going. I would like maybe if the difficulty curve ramped up a little bit quicker from level to level or portion to portion, because it, as it stands, it's more, it has like that whole Hitman Go, Lara Croft Go idea, but there's 
no real enemies. There's no challenge of the order of operations. You can make a bunch of mistakes. You can flip out a couple guys, and it's not as big of a deal. Yeah, there was. It never seemed to be like something that would like kill you or cause you to have to completely restart. Like, like there was in the Hitman. Go- I thought it. It's very similar to those type of games. I, I thought of the same thing where it never felt like you were that in danger of not solving it. It just might take you a little more time to get them in the right place. You can never get completely stuck or killed in such a way where you're like, oh. Well, I shouldn't go that way again. And I, I assume they did that to make it the most family friendly as possible. But I did like uh, how they did seem to have a decent progression of adding new little elements to the levels uh, to keep them interesting. So it didn't feel super repetitive. Yes, portions of it are a bit repetitive, but uh, they do add those little new elements uh, as you go to kind of keep it interesting. But yeah, this one, I didn't know much about it. It impressed me. I, I it, It's a very solid uh, little puzzle game that I think is is quite enjoyable. And then, of course, there's just the ornate 3D design style. And once each character lands on their respective colored marks, it flies them over to the next area. So it's kind of like a one continuous shot as you're building forward until you reach these doors, which open like a smaller logic puzzle of rearranging shapes to make one like current pathway and just really beautiful design solid puzzle gameplay if that's your type of game style yep i agree it's path of giants it's 399 it's universal and then there's stranger things the game three which essentially is just like the first two or the first stranger things game but it's focused on season three so it's a playable version of the season it borders on more changes to like there's the core elements of the story and then you go off on offshoot missions built on the main structure of the season but right now just playing you can be like oh this is episode one this is episode two as you're going through it so it's just a playable version of stranger things season three on netflix and the original version it was more of this 8-bit top-down style it was kind of more remedial more straightforward this is more of a kind of a third person perspective in a 16 bit style. So, not only did it evolve between seasons, but it's also evolved in graphic style and gameplay style, where you ha- you'll have both or two selectable characters available. Like, you might you start with Mike and Lucas, then you might switch out and you have Dustin and Mike. They all have their own specials and attack abilities. And as you go through the story, you're going to unlock more characters from the story as playable characters. And they'll all have their pros and cons to get through different elements. And it's just really, if you're a fan of Stranger Things, you're going to love playing through it. And the original, my only drawback was that it was so easy and simple that I got bored. This one definitely amps up the challenge, though, since I didn't know the original was so easy and bland, I did pick the master difficulty on this one to really get me into it. And that was actually a pretty good choice. Yeah, this one, I I, I love season three of stranger things so when i saw they yeah. had an ios release of this i'm like i'm in because i love the original stranger things uh game that bonus xp released on ios as well and so in this one you're right they kind of like amped everything up it has this whole rpg element to it where you're picking up items you're picking up money and then you can craft certain items that you need for 
for portions of it. They, like you said, each of the characters have certain abilities, like Dustin, there's certain areas where he can hack into them, uh, and you basically have to quickly enter a code in, and that'll unlock certain doors. So there's sections that you can't get to unless you have a certain character with you in your party. And so it it kind of... um, there's certain areas you'll see as you're playing, and then eventually you can go back to them once you get a character that can get you in there. Then each of the characters also has like a another special ability as well that you can trigger. And the way you power that up is by drinking new Coke. Uh, and then they have like units of energy that they can spend to kind of use these super special abilities that allow him to get in certain areas. So, like, Lucas has, like, a a bomb he can set off. So there's one... I'm not really giving anything away, because super early on, it wasn't actually in the show. Uh, but the, right when you find out about that they have these unique abilities, Lucas has a, a bomb ability. So he can blow up a rock to get you into this one section you couldn't possibly get into before that. So uh, it just kind of there's a lot of exploring. You see all the your favorite locations from the show. It's got this very nostalgic kind of late 80s, early 90s kind of look and feel to it. It almost kind of reminded me of like the Goonies game uh, back on NES, uh, but with more of an RPG element to it. And uh, I'm just having a blast going through it because it's just, oh, yeah, I remember this from the show. Oh, yeah, I got the I remember this from the season. And, and you're right. It, like even the sub the titles of the sections, I think they match up with the titles of the episodes. So, it, I mean, it does diverge a little bit. It's always uh, but I mean, I'm not going to get into specifics in case people haven't watched season three yet. But I think if you're a fan of Stranger Things and season three uh, in particular, uh, this one is definitely worth checking out. And if you do ever plan to watch the show, watch the show before you play the game, because, again, this game, you're playing through the story. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, definitely watch the season before you play the game uh, and then uh, then go ahead and play the game. And there's also side missions which tie into the different characters. The one funny one is right at the start. Mike is like, we need to go see Mrs. Wheeler. He would never call his mom Mrs. Wheeler. Just <laughs> It's just a fun way because Lucas can also say that quote. So they had to make it for both characters to potentially say it. And then you'll also have various side missions that you don't have to complete, but you can for bonus money and things like that. It will be like someone at the pool who's not Billy. Some other teenager wants you to go and do something at the mall for him. And so you can just earn extra cash that way. Or like Mrs. Wheeler, she has a friend who also wants you to go to the mall and do something. And so they're just side missions. It's kind of like little tedious chores, but it gives you something to do. It's really easy to transfer between points. The game is designed so that there's edges that go into blackness. And when you get to that, you then bring up the map and then you can jump from over by the pool to the watchtower or to the mall. And you can jump really quick and travel through locations within Hawkins. Yeah, and there's just other things you just smash while you're going around, and those uh, those will give you money, too, to purchase items, to craft with, or to they're part of these missions will cry you to have money. Uh, there is a whole local co-op version that you can do, too, which I have not tried, where each player takes control of of one of the two characters while you're doing the uh if you're doing it yourself you can have the other character kind of just follow you or there's sections where you might need them to stand on like a pressure plate in order to like open a doorway and then you can say stop following me and then they'll stop where they are and then you can switch to the other character and then go do what you need to do 
in that open doorway, and then you can have them follow you again, so that way they're moving around. And one thing, like, parts of it are just like a, a whole beat-em-up, and so the different characters have different sorts of weapons. So, like, uh, uh, Lucas has a slingshot, so he can have, like, a nice range uh, shot, and then uh, I think Will had the—is he the one with the bat? I believe. No, Mike uh, has the bat. Oh, Mike has the bat. Mike, Mike has, has the bat, yeah. and it reminds me of Richie from It, because okay. <laughs> Finn has both, he plays both characters. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he has the bat, and so he's he has to hit up close, but that bat does some serious damage. So he can take out enemies much faster, but you start to learn of, like, different combos of characters work well, because th- when they're following you, the AI will actually do the the shooting for that other character as well, or or hitting, uh, depending on what their weapon is. So you can kind of set it up so you can get a good, a nice mix of range and melee to take out if there's a lot of enemies on the screen. But uh, yeah, definitely uh, check this one out. Yeah, the the combat system isn't probably the most complex that you'll come across, but it fits the Stranger Things whole '80s vibe, playable world and. I just love that you can, Stranger Things, you can take advantage of the time period to tie it into games and make it a whole playable world. Like you said, you have the whole Mike bat attack and then Lucas's ranged uh, slingshot attack, and then you have Dustin. It's more like a mage attack because he uses his little uh, spray can and it does damage over time. And then, you know, Will the Wise, and you have that whole connection with Will possibility. And then Max has her skateboard connections, and it's just a fun world to dive into and actually play it rather than just watch it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You feel like you're in the show at points. And so, and there's just fun little things, hidden Easter egg kind of things you find. If you read signs and read, look at certain objects and things, there's funny little, uh, just dialogue to find that, uh, you'll see just describing certain things or on the wall of like a post-it note on a wall or something. And so that's Stranger Things, the game three. Season three is awesome, so it would make sense it would lend itself to a good game. It's $4.99, it's universal, and I think that's everything for episode 114. Yep, that's all I got. To everyone listening, be sure to mark your calendars for Tuesday, September 10th to tune in to Apple's live announcement of the iPhone. We'll have a recap podcast as quick as we can after the event. And stay tuned to that, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.